So who do we trust, huh? Like always, me and Dee. Welcome to Me and Thee and Three, a Starsky and Hutch fan podcast. I'm Monica. I'm Jen. And I'm Rachel. And we're three friends who have too many feelings about Starsky and Hutch. We don't know where to put them, so we're putting them in this podcast. And we decided to start this podcast with a question that Jen thought of. And the question is, if you were to play a role in Starsky and Hutch, what role would you most like? Um, Jen, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, So I feel like it would be fun to play a role where I got to kind of make fun of Starsky and Hatch or otherwise just not be uh, there for their bullshit. Um, And we curse in this podcast, I guess. We do now. Uh, I'm sworn. BS BS isn't too bad. It's not like like we're dropping the (laughs) F-bomb. So... uh, I would want to play some sort of receptionist, either at the police station or at a place where Starsky and Hutch are attempting to get information. Maybe I'm in the county clerk's office or something like that. And uh, they will ask me for information. I I will tell them they have to wait their turn. And they will get very frustrated with me. And I will make them wait while I fill out the paperwork and give them uh, eye daggers and rolled eyes and Mm -hmm. otherwise not uh, want to deal with any of this. This is not just me working out my aggression at the guy who cut us in line at the DMV the other day. (laughs) (laughs) I'd forgotten about that. Oh, what a jerk. Uh, Rachel. All right. Uh, I decided I wanted to be a morally gray character of some sort, Uh, preferably one who has to help them uh, go undercover and get in somewhere. So, of course, I would be the talent coach for a Chippendale-esque show. I think that'd be very fun. I would like to watch you do that role. <laughs> what are you coaching? Oh, um, I gotta see their performances, of course, you know, and I, I also manage uh, their look and everything, you know, just sort of Straighten all around. Their bow ties. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, um, I... I, as I mentioned before, I work as a medical assistant. I give a lot of injections. And there are a lot of unfriendly nurses in Starsky and Hutch. And I think it would be fun to play one of those because I am a very friendly person. Um, I think it would be fun to play the sort of cold, stony nurse who, you you know, maybe has a, uh, maybe enjoys giving shots a little too much. I think that would be fun. Be very solid. Well, you know, there was a nurse who enjoyed giving shots a little too much. <laughs> I don't think I, although I think it would be fun to play a Diana Harmon type role on the show. I don't think my acting would be up to it. And I certainly couldn't do her accent. I don't know if that's an <laughs> integral part of her character or not, but uh, I could certainly act stony and cold that I could do. One of the first things I just wanted to bring up is that we got our striped tomato print that Paul Michael Glazer made, uh, framed, and it looks very nice now. Unfortunately, it's not a standard poster size, so we did have to buy a frame that was slightly too large, but then we just uh, put black paper on the edges, and it looks very good. It looks fantastic. I'm so glad it's right directly in our field of view. (laughs) Yes, I like looking at it. It's judging us as we podcast (laughs) with its little tomato face. I don't think it is judging us. I think it's just uh, along for the ride. (laughs) I think it's so abstract that we can each have our own interpretation of its mood. You know what? That is what art is about. And then I thought next we should talk about another thing we brought up previously. We bought, uh, well, Jen bought a double feature of Dirty Harry and Magnum Force. And we did indeed watch that last week. And I'm 
Uh, I know that we all have a lot of thoughts and feelings about it. Uh, Rachel, you kind of fist pumped. Does that mean you want to go first? It means that I adored them. <laughs> like, way more than I thought I would or should. I was just like, wow, I, I love these movies. They are super fun. Um, I definitely liked Magnum Force better. Um, because I loved David Soul's little groups. Little group of, uh... Baby birds, or baby murder birds, as one might call them. I am very glad that uh, I watched Zodiac for the first time, like, three weeks ago with Jen and Rachel. And I'm very glad that I watched that before I watched Dirty Harry, because it put so much in perspective that Dirty Harry is 100% a movie that was made in reaction to the Zodiac Killer. And it's sort of, um, like, uh... What do you call it? Like, um... Ripped from the headlines? Ripped from the headlines, uh, but, um, cathartic? <laughs> it's, uh, I'm not sure how to turn that into a verb, but, um, it, it it's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, I don't really believe in the term Mary Sue's or Gary Stew's. Like, you can create these characters who are, are like supposed to be sort of the perfect character for a situation and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad character but Dirty Harry is definitely the character created for the sole purpose of taking down the uh, Scorpio killer as he's called in the movie but so clearly supposed to be the Zodiac killer um and although I did enjoy the movie like watching it was really interesting like, Dirty Harry's police uh, procedures are terrible <laughs> across the board. He's, like, firing in, in like, crowded streets. He's he's reckless. He does not, like... It's... I, I found it so amusing when people would say, like, don't you know that, like, police have to follow rules? And he'd always look surprised. Um, <laughs> he genuinely just did not know that. Yeah, he didn't know that you couldn't torture people for, for confessions or whatever. Um, so, like, he's a terrible cop, but, like, I can understand completely why this movie would probably really, like, resonate with, um, the citizens of San Francisco at this time. And then Magnum Force was, I think, a, f a pretty fun movie, and I enjoyed that, that one a lot, too. I like how you say Magnum Force. Also, I like that you said the sole purpose, and I was thinking, we watch Magnum Force for a sole purpose. <laughs> Do I say Magnum Force wrong? No, it's just, you know, accents. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, mock our Midwesternness, why don't you? I mean, we mock Hutch's Midwesternness. <laughs> this is all part of the package. I agree with Monica. I think the for the historical value of Dirty Harry is really strong. Um, there's a scene in Zodiac where Mark Ruffalo, playing one of the uh, police officers who was on the Zodiac case, is watching Dirty Harry in the theater and leaves what we now realize was about 10 minutes into the movie um, because he, he doesn't want to deal with them sort of making light of his life. And so I can see how for the people actually involved in the investigation, this was not catharsis. This was sort of a mockery of the procedure and the work, the hard work that they were doing. But if I were living in a city with a serial killer on the loose, I think there definitely is some catharsis in watching some guy just take him down and take him out. I, I like to think about um, how young Starsky and Hutch would react to watching this movie. Like, I mean, I think, I like to think that they would see it and be really like, oh, this is super fun and everything, but also be like secretly shouting like, but you have to follow this and this and this rule because like they're deep in their detective exams. <laughs> Aww, that would be adorable. I think Starsky and Hutch... Well, we know Starsky is at least aware of Dirty Harry, so we can assume he's seen the movie. Oh, you're right. Um, but I, I think he would be, I think you're right, he'd be able to enjoy it, but at the same time, in the back of his head, be thinking, yeah, this guy is not a cop, or this guy is lacking in any kind of professional manner. Because Starsky and Hutch, like, yes, they skirt the rules a lot, but at the end of the day, they usually do follow procedure, I think. Well, I haven't done like a statistical analysis of the episodes, <clears throat> but overall I get the sense that they they think the rules are there for a reason. I think as an audience we're supposed to be like, yeah, they more or less follow the rules. We're not supposed to think that they're renegade cops like Dirty Harry. They're just good cops, period. I don't know. And I think that there's a reason that the Dirty Harry archetype 
it tends to be applied to people who are not cops nowadays. Um, thinking I, as someone who has read a lot of comics about Wolverine, um, the influence of Dirty Harry on the development of Wolverine as a character is really clear. And I know Hugh Jackman has given interviews about how Dirty Harry is basically the sole inspiration for how he plays Wolverine in the movies. Hmm. And so I think when you've got somebody who does not care about anyone's laws or regulations and is not bound by any laws or regulations beyond those that all citizens are supposed to abide by, you wind up with a character who you know is doing wrong, but you're still kind of rooting for. Whereas Dirty Harry winds up being emblematic of systemic sort of police corruption. And that, for me at least, sends me down a sort of a dark road of thinking about institutions and that sort of thing. So I think I enjoy that archetype more when it's divorced from those systems. But it was still interesting. Um, And I think Monica had interesting thoughts about the ethics of Dirty Harry and how they're turned around in Magnum Force. Um, specifically with I don't David Saul and his baby birds. Right. Um, I mean, I feel that Magnum Force backpedals on the character of Dirty Harry. Because in the first movie, well, first of all, they don't explain how he's back on the Force after straight up killing the Zodiac Killer and throwing his badge into a river or... a lake, some in some body of the bay? water, the San Francisco Bay. I don't. No, it I don't, was. Think, it I don't was. think it was. I mean, I guess it could have been like a little. Inlet. It was just like a yeah. It was just like a body of water. Yeah, he was like by but a like drainage a ditch or something. <laughs> Lakeish, pondish looking. Yeah. You know? Anyway, um, but I think they wanted him back to being a, a tough cop character, so they just hand waved. He's back on the force, whatever, and then they bring in characters who the movie is like no these are actually bad cops and then suddenly dirty harry is set up as the character who bends the rules but does not cross that final line and having characters who do not cross that final line is such a slippery slope like in real life this would be super dicey because it's like oh do you trust all these characters to know like, what's right, what's wrong, and why is, like, this one final line the thing you cannot cross, but, like, roughing up a suspect is fine, but killing uh, criminals who have repeatedly gotten away with their crimes is too far. Like, obviously, that leaves so much gray area that you're not dealing with. But I thought that Dirty Harry was a lot more likable in Magnum Force because suddenly he wasn't the character who was torturing and killing people. Um, But it was hard to ignore the fact that that's what he was doing in Dirty Harry. So a little bit of cognitive dissonance there. Um, But I, I thought that in order to turn him into a franchise character, they felt the need to pull him back. And I, I can't say that they were wrong about that. Yeah, I mean, after all, where do you go after that scene of killing the Scorpio? I mean, if you're only going to go farther, then he's just, you know, a full out and out vigilante, you know. Mm. Um, To be fair, I would watch that movie, I think. (laughs) Well, that's just Punisher, isn't it? And I I don't actually like the Punisher, so... the 89 movie. That's a good movie. I'll watch it someday. I'm trying to think about this in terms of, like, D&D alignments. And I feel like in Magnum Force, he's basically a true neutral. He's not following the rules, but he's not not following the rules. He's not doing it for good, but he's not doing it for evil. He's squarely in the middle. And those baby burrs are pushed more to the edges. And I think he was more in the chaotic, at the very least, side of things in the first movie. And so he gets drawn back. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I don't know if I necessarily agree with the the neutral and the good evil alignment though. Like I I want something that's between good and neutral, <laughs> because I mean, because I feel like if you're a true neutral, you don't really care, and he obviously deeply cares about mm-hmm. who he thinks are good people, which are the innocents, the people who don't commit crimes. So like he deeply cares about what happens to them. I mean, he, that's in on his moral scale. Like that's. That's goodness and everything. 
True, but he also refuses to get personal with anyone or any... Like, any time that there is, like, some sort of personal connection, he tries to push it away. And maybe that makes him more toward the neutral. I'm thinking in comparison to Starsky and Hutch, who I think are, like, neutral good characters. Because they're going to break the rules when they feel the rules are unjust, but otherwise they're going to follow them and they're always seeking to do good. And they are making ill-advised personal relationships with basically everyone they try to help over the course of the series. And so I think that extra level of doing things because you have a deep connection to other human beings is something that is missing from Dirty Harry, and that's why I was sliding him down the neutral scale. But you're right, it should be more of a uh, an axis than boxes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I was saying between good and neutral, fair. <laughs> True. Um, I think uh, to draw this back a little more to Starsky and Hutch, uh, after seeing Magnum Force, are you now curious to read Harry Johnny fanfic? No. <laughs> I, I mean, Ra- Rachel's looking like, like she's sort of tempted, so I'll just express my opinion. Basically, from what I understand from having investigated this further... The Harry Johnny fandom was a self-contained universe controlled by a couple of writers that a bunch of people all contributed to the building of this universe. And I think that's really cool. I think as a fan project, that's something that's really neat. But it seemed to be premised on the fact that, um, spoilers for Magnum Force, um, David Soul's character doesn't die at the end of it, and instead he and Dirty Harry get together and have a beautiful love life. And I just feel like... David Soul's character is so evil and Dirty Harry's not much better that I can't imagine them buying curtains together. I mean, but again, you know, we're just going back to like murder husbands of Hannibal. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not in Hannibal fandom. This is the second time whether or not we want to be in Hannibal fandom has come up on this podcast. Okay, so for me, there's there's lots of fic... That of a Harry Johnny bet that I would read, but apparently it doesn't exist. But I would like be very much okay. I'd be very much into like lots and lots and lots of baby bird dark fic. Like I just want all the dark fic about the baby birds. I love them so much. They're so evil and so horrible. <laughs> I would definitely read uh, like psychological thriller stuff where. David Soul's character draws in Harry to like this deeper, darker world and just like totally like corrupts him. And I would highly like that. But as I say, I I don't think it's out there because as you say, the Harry Johnny fandom was a very specific thing and it wasn't that. Yeah, I, I would I would read some of the darker fic that you're suggesting. And especially because the I mean, the the film makes a reference to everyone at the Academy thinking that this group of what we're calling baby birds were queer. And I was talking to my father on the phone um, about having seen this movie. And I said, like, oh, there was a big fandom surrounding um, Harry Johnny. My dad usually doesn't really get fandom, but I talk about it with him nonetheless because I have a good relationship with my parents. And he was like, oh, well, in the movie, they say that all of those guys are gay. And I was like, wait, your memories of this movie include the fact that they're just explicitly gay? That's not actually the text of the film, Dad. But it was the first time where I mentioned some kind of slash ship, and he's like, oh yeah, that's basically canon, right? (laughs) And it was very weird. (laughs) I think this might be a way to draw in a next topic, which also involves people talking about fandoms from long ago in strange ways. Jen, do you want to talk about Colbert? Oh, yes. So I'm a big fan of Stephen Colbert um, and a big fan of John Oliver, who really needs to be back on the air. I think I think tonight he's back. So that's awesome. Um, whenever tonight is for when you guys listen to this. And so John Oliver was doing a, a sort of press tour about the new season of his show. And he appears on Stephen Colbert's show. And he does a sort of slide across Stephen's desk uh, as he comes into the room. And Stephen laughs and makes him do it again and says, you're kind of like Starsky and or Hutch sliding across the hood of their charger. 
And it was ruined by that last word. Because at first I was like, this is a delightful Starsky and Hutch reference from two of my favorite political comedians. And then all of a sudden, Stephen Colbert is referencing the Dukes of Hazard car. And I, I have not actually seen any Dukes of Hazard. I don't know how good of a show it is. But I feel like based on the fact that their car is named after a Confederate general, it is offensive to Starsky and Hutch and the Torino to confuse the Torino with the General Lee. So uh, I was I was deeply disappointed um, in this mix-up, but also delighted to see a Starsky and Hutch reference on TV. So one other thing that we wanted to talk about, since we've been talking about uh, Dirty Harry and San Francisco and the ways in which the movie pulled directly from things happening uh, in San Francisco at the time and with the SFPD, there's the constant question um, in Starsky and Hutch about whether or not we should be thinking of Bay City as just an L.A. substitute or not. It's clearly meant to be in the same place as L.A. And I think I read that it's not L.A. because the LAPD didn't want that uh, depiction of them to be on screen. So it became a fictional city. And so Monica wanted to know which we preferred in fic, continuing to refer to it as Bay City or referring to it as the L.A. that it so clearly is. I do I do just want to jump in before we get into this, that it's it's interesting in the show because, of course, it's the Bay City Police Department because... The LAPD was like, no, you're not using her name. But literally everything else is basically, like, especially in the later seasons, it's just, like, obviously Los Angeles, like, everything says, like, LA and everything, you know. I mean, their uniforms still say BCPD, but literally everything else is like, nope, this is this is LA and its area. I used to think that when I was reading fic, sometimes uh, they would specifically say, Bay City, and not just in the sense of Bay City police officers or police department, but they would substitute Bay City for any kind of L.A. marker. And I used to think, well, that's kind of silly. If I ever wrote fic, I would just straight up set it in Los Angeles and, you know, dispense with this thin veneer of, of separation. But then I actually did write a Starsky and Hutch fic, and... It didn't really come up until I wanted Huggy to mention seeing a ballet, and I thought to myself, where should he see this ballet? And I just wrote Bay City Opera House, or Bay City Theater, something like that. And I was like, oh, this is so easy. I can just slap Bay City on a word. If I did that with Los Angeles, I would want to actually look up an actual theater or opera house that would possibly um, have a performance of the Nutcracker at it. And I don't think that would be hard research. Most theaters are pretty long-standing. So I think I could find one that was open and, and showing performances in the mid to late 70s. But it was one piece of research I didn't have to do, and it didn't matter to the story. Like, that detail would not really have enhanced the story had I done that research. And so being able to throw... Bay City in there and just go with that fictionalization actually made it simpler, saved me a little bit of time, and I don't think detracted from the fic at all. And suddenly I realized, oh, I guess it's not as clear cut as I thought that going with the fictional Bay City does actually allow for a simplification of some things and also more creativity on your part. It allows the author to play with things and not worry about actual residents of Los Angeles going, wait a minute, like, I know signs when you're reading a fic, and if you actually live in a place where it's set, and then there's a glaring detail that just does not fit, you're like, wait a minute. I'm solidly with you on that. Like, I mean, I, okay, the thing is, I'm super lazy. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, I mean, like, I listen to a lot of uh, nonfiction books about history and stuff like that. But actually, like, going in and researching, like, okay, like, researching geography is one of my least favorite things in the world. <laughs> it's just, like, it's just too much work for me. Um, and also, like, if I want to pick it, like, if I want to cherry pick, like, events or, like, type of events, um, I would much rather then I, you know, I would want to do that and then have Bay City rather than L.A. because then I don't have someone get going well, hey, this actually happened, and there was all this going, and it's like, 
yeah, but I wanted to focus on this. And it's, you know, it's fic. I think that's totally legit to say I just wanted to focus on this in this story. So that's why I personally prefer in my own writing to just go with Bay City because, you know, I, I have a lot more freedom with what I can do then. I, I also prefer to go with Bay City. And I think for me, it's the best of both worlds because you can have L.A. still be there. You can have Hollywood, you can have all of the landmarks of Los Angeles, and they can visit it because they need to consult with another police department because they're just, you know, going to uh, see a show or a restaurant or something like that. But you have this other set of geography that you can do whatever you want with it because it's fictional. So it's sort of like the freedom of writing fic for DC Comics or DC Comics themselves, which are fic of themselves. Because you, you have this world that's just slightly bigger than our real world, where all of the cities that do exist in the real world still exist, but also you have these extra places. You have Metropolis, you have Gotham City, and you can have the particular trials of those in addition to Chicago and New York and lots of other major cities. And so that's that's how I treat Bay City in my mind as well. And I do, I love thick and and any sort of art that has a really solid grounding in a location but it is incredibly frustrating when you do know a place and you get it wrong or even when you know a place and then you see a movie do something to it that uh is kind of horrifying and obviously Starsky and Hutch is not a you know sci-fi fantasy uh, program, but I'm just thinking about all my friends who watch some of the Avengers movies and are like, well, there's my office building being destroyed. That's kind of terrifying. This removes that from anybody's real lived experiences while still giving the chance to use Los Angeles when we want to. And so I, I think it's, it's really useful um, for me personally. Plus, I just feel like Bay City feels smaller than Los Angeles. Well, I want to jump in there because what you just described isn't actually what I'm doing in my head. But when you say Bay City feels smaller than Los Angeles, that's more what I'm doing in my head where Bay City is like a Los Angeles neighborhood, which doesn't make perfect sense. But I don't feel like Los Angeles is existing as a separate entity when I'm saying Bay City instead of Los Angeles. I just feel (laughs) like they are sort of overlapping similar things. Yeah, I don't know how to quite describe it, but I don't feel that there's an LAPD running around, you know, in close proximity to the Bay City PD. I just feel that Bay City is subbing in for LA and is fictional, but is also LA at the same time. Yeah, for me, like, Bay City just totally supplants LA. Like, anything that you would use LA for, that's Bay City. Hmm. I guess I'm the only one who's like, no, they both exist. They're they're next to each other. It's, I don't know, like, that's, that's what works best for me. Especially because I wasn't even sure when I first started watching Starsky and Hutch that it was supposed to be L.A. Because when you say Bay in California, I assume you mean San Francisco. So at first I thought that they were in San Francisco. And that very quickly became clearly, sorry, there's a train. <laughs> we live near a train. <laughs> you probably just heard that. Or maybe you didn't. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't pick up. Who knows? We'll see. Um, you did. Sorry. <laughs> Obviously, it's not San Francisco. There's no hills, for one thing. Um, and, and the weather seems to be um, much hotter um, than it, it ever is in, in San Francisco. So it became clear that it was supposed to be Southern California. But I feel like there there are a fair number of major cities in Southern California. And so if I just assume Bay City is... LA-ish in terms of location, then I can think, okay, that's a small city that's near Los Angeles. And and that works for me um, in terms of of thinking about fiction. One other benefit of going with Bay City rather than LA is that the LAPD has so much baggage. And my research into reading old issues of The Advocate and also reading a book called Gay L.A., the chief of police, um, up until I think the end of the 70s, was a man named Ed Davis, who was so homophobic that he was running uh, gay raids where gay clubs uh, would be 
raided um, and, and dozens and dozens of people arrested long after most people supported these raids. And like, I think it, it's easier to deal with a Bay City Police Department that maybe doesn't have that background radiation, especially when you're writing slash fic with Starsky and Hutch. And I, I don't think I've ever actually seen that come up in fic. And I think that it would be a dicey issue to deal with in fic. I mean, it's hard enough saying in most slash fic, Starsky and Hutch keep the relationship under wraps because they can't be out gay cops in a relationship. I mean, that's just not going to happen in that era. But to shovel on the extra baggage of before their homicide detectives, would they have been sent on these raids and stuff like that is uh, an issue that I think most people would rather not deal with in stories unless they were going to carefully research it and and very carefully write it. This goes into my my cherry-picking preference is, I mean, San Francisco, they, um, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure San Francisco... In the mid to late 70s, they're actually like, no, it's okay to have gay cops on the force. Um, whoever was in charge was like, no, this is a thing we're going to do and be okay with. So you can, you, so like, I would be, I would be totally down for reading a story where that happens in Bay City. Well, we know that it's happening in Bay City because that's what Dobie says in Death in a Different Place. That he's getting pressure to, like, have gay cops on the force. Which is saying that as of that year, 1978, that there aren't any open gay cops. Sure, sure. But but it's hard to imagine a the actual LAPD at that time, given what you just shared. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's history is so complicated. There could be political pressure. And there were um, people in the government who were incredibly gay friendly at that time who hated that Ed Davis was so homophobic and using his police department as, you know, a bludgeon against the gay community. Um, so you could have political pressure from above mm-hmm. the chief of police and still have him who was like fighting tooth and nail to, you know, keep gay cops out. So yeah, if you're going to go with the actual LAPD, you would actually have to do, I think, research or risk being very historically inaccurate. Which, okay, and this this is gonna, I mean, I think it's okay if, if you do, you know, if you write a fic and it's set in LA and it's full of anachronisms and everything else, like, again, you know, readers might not, you might lose some readers, um, other readers aren't gonna care, it's just sort of like, do what you want so long as you're not, like, being super offensive to people. Yeah, I mean, you can write what you want to write, I think when I do come across stories where something strikes me as very unrealistic, it is sort of, it pulls me out of the story and then I, I'm not interested anymore. But you're right, that, that story still has the right to be up on the web and I certainly wouldn't leave any nasty reviews or anything that would be out of out of line. Mm-hmm. You can click the back button if it's not your cup of tea. I mean, like, it's it's complicated because obviously this is... At least as far as the parameters of the show, it is a fictional city. And it is, you know, set in a world where, as much as the show does try to tackle social issues from time to time, it's still presenting a world where Dobie, for instance, rarely ever encounters racism. Unless it's a a particular episode where it's about that. And that strikes me as probably not the case. Um, If he were a real police captain at that point in time. I, so I, I think you have a problem with any TV show, especially any television show that deals with the police. Because you're going to have, if you want your characters to be likable, you're going to have to pretend that the police as an institution is better than it is in reality. And that's that's been true of policing forever. Obviously, there are individual good cops and I'm not going to start to get into like huge debates about the police, but I think it's something that I'm constantly thinking about when I'm invested in a fandom about police officers. And I think about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is a show that I watch, which does occasionally deal with the institutional problems and, and biases within the NYPD, 
But it's all predicated on the fact that everyone in the 9-9, the particular precinct where our heroes are working, is great. And we know that they're not bad cops. So there's still an awareness that there are some institutional issues. I mean, there are a couple not great ones in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> sure, but for the most part, like, they're not, you know, they're not perpetuating these abuses. And we go in knowing that these guys and, and women are not going to be perpetuating those abuses. And we are expected to feel the same way about everybody that Starsky and Hutch work with and like. So I think there winds up being a bubble um, around protagonists in any cop show where you have to suspend your disbelief and say, like, if these people are breaking the rules, it's for good. They're always acting for good because that's how fiction about heroes works. And so I think that does allow for some room for historical inaccuracy because it's it's not about the history, it's about the fiction. That said, I think I tend to prefer fiction that is grounded in historical realities. And I think I'm most attracted to fic that is most firmly grounded um, in that particular world at that particular time, just because that's my personal preference. I don't read a lot of AUs in any fandom, but obviously fandom is vast and people have different preferences and I don't think it's, you know, a moral superiority issue. It's just what I tend to prefer. I think Starsky and Hutch is maybe a little more complex. A lot of the cops Starsky and Hutch work with we're not supposed to root for. But like the ones that they like, yes, I agree that we're supposed to. And again, I, I think that when they break the rules, it's not always for the right reasons. And I think we're not always supposed to think that they're breaking the rules for the right things reasons, although that's rare. But I also kind of wanted to say it's not that I'm like clicking out of fix if I notice a historical inaccuracy. And it's like specifics generally don't bother me. It's like general things like if Starsky and Hutch were both out and not encountering any trouble in the late 70s, I would be like, this is too unrealistic for me. But if it's like Dobie knows that they're out and Dobie's okay with it and like that I'm down with, like Dobie loves them, whatever. And like if it's kind of like an open secret where like some of his, their coworkers probably strongly suspect, but it's sort of a don't ask, don't tell situation that I could kind of believe too, maybe. But like, if it's like the whole department is just like, Oh yeah, Starsky and Hutch, they love each other. It's cool. I'm like, no, that that's not going to work for me. I mean, that's exactly how I feel about hockey fandom. <laughs> so, but like, that's kind of my favorite thing about, I don't encounter it a lot, but the Starsky and Hutch pick I want is where they're just like, they just like, they just know and they love each other. They don't have to, like, come out or discuss discuss sexuality or anything like that. I just want them to, like, be in love. Like, that's all I want. That's fair. And, like... So, like, all that other stuff is just, like, it's just so... Exp- like, I don't... I don't like you. I don't want it to be, like, oh, the whole station knows. And it's like, oh, like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But I want it to be just, like, that's just how it is for them. And I bet a lot of the station does suspect that they're gay. And, like, but since no one's saying it out loud, like, it's fine possible deniability i don't know and like yeah don't they touch each other so much and they spend they like get off shift and immediately go have dinner together and like yeah if dirty harry met them he'd be like well they're probably queer but if they can shoot well that's fine (laughs) going back to the uh thoughts of uh locations if i ever write fic that involves starsky and hutch visiting hutch's family in minnesota which is a lot of fic that's out there. I am definitely going to Monica's mom and asking her questions about Minnesota living. That's fair. My mom spent uh, a pro- a portion of her childhood in Superior, Wisconsin, which is right next to Duluth, Minnesota. So she knows that area well. I'll get her to Duluth pick my fic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she actually grew up uh, in Bemidji, Minnesota, which is very far north uh, Minnesota. I think Callie has something to add to this conversation. I mean, I think Callie has a good point there. Like, LA and Bay City, they just don't talk about cats at all. So, I mean, you know, it's not cat land. It's a land of food. There's kittens. There are kittens, but it's not Catland, and I don't think Callie would like the kittens. 
She wouldn't like the kittens. She but doesn't like anyone else of her species. Catland is just full of food. Mm. This is this is the key part. Well, Bay City's full of food, but Starsky never gets to eat it. Exactly. I think that's probably Callie's sa- like the saddest part for her. It's true. That would be Callie's nightmare. Food everywhere that she can't eat. Callie, Callie feels Starsky so strongly every time we tell her, no, it's not your dinner time yet, or we take our food and we move it away from her. She feels like Starsky does when Hutch grabs his hot dog, <laughs> which is not a euphemism. <laughs> This time. Well, I feel like maybe we could head on to our rec corner. And Jen, you actually just brought up the fact that a lot of fic involves Starsky and Hutch going to Minnesota. Is that a segue that you could use? <laughs> that is a segue that I could use. Thank you, Monica. Um, I was looking for some fic to read. Uh, and I am not a pod ficker yet, but I do like reading out loud. And so Monica suggested that I read aloud to her uh, some fics that she found that had a really strong first person Starsky voice. And those were, uh, Monica has the titles. Okay, it's part of a series called the Golden Boy series by Mary Louise Fisher. But I'd read the first story and I, I liked it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. But I thought, well, I've already heard this. I'll have Jen read me a story from the series I haven't read yet. So I picked out How I Spent My Summer Vacation, which is actually the fourth one in the series. And then after that, uh, the second one in the series, Why I Live in the Best Western. We enjoyed reading those fics aloud. Um, I think I, of the two of them, I think I preferred the Summer Vacation one because it's very much about how um, sometime in the mid-90s when this fic was written, um, I believe it was published in zines in 1996 when I was 10. Uh, (laughs) And Starsky and Hutch are now pushing 50. Hutch retired from the force and is a writer, um, a true crime writer and a criminal profiler. And Starsky is still a cop and now he's on vacation. And so they're going to visit Hutch's family in the uh, cabins near this lake in Minnesota and It's a standard Hutchinson family, you know, the mother is kind of snobbish and doesn't care for Starsky and, like, didn't think that Hutch was fulfilling his potential when he was just a cop. And as we know from uh, the episode with the Red Long Johns, I'm great at remembering episode titles. Um, (laughs) Satan's Witches. Satan's Witches! Anyway, we all know the Long Johns are the star of that episode. As we know... Starsky is not super into camping, and he remains really not into camping in this um, mostly humorous fic where he has a lot of stream of consciousness rants about various things involving camping and water and plagues. Uh, And it was delightful. I liked uh, hearing you read it out loud, Jen. And I also liked that Starsky and Hutch's mom warm up to each other by the end of that story. I thought... Uh, that was sweet. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's so rare for there to be layers to the Hutchinson family in fix, so that was a nice surprise. Rachel, what wrecks do you have? Alright, I just have one. Uh, I read it th- earlier today, in fact. It's Faded Up to the Sky by Jat Sapphire, and I've read other fix of- by Jat Sapphire, so I was like, yeah, you know, this will be good. And it was indeed. It's a very short fic. It's only 750 words. But the summary, I think, explains it all. Both Starsky and Hutch appreciate Starsky's old jeans. And it's exactly that. It's this loving, loving description of an old ratty pair of Starsky's jeans. I mean, I assume this takes place in, like, probably, like, the 80s. uh, Because they're very outdated jeans. But they're very tight around the hips, it specifically says. And it just, you know, goes into, like, the different holes and tears it has and how it's worn and how Hutch likes looking at them and where those uh, worn spots are. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a nice, it's a nice fic about jeans. Sweet. I wanted to wreck some stories by Charlotte Frost, and she's one of my favorite Starsky and Hutch authors, and I was having a really hard time narrowing down just, like, one story to wreck. 
And the difficult thing is I generally don't have favorites, so it's not like I have a clear favorite. But I thought maybe I would just like throw a couple out there. I'll try to be quick. The first one I wanted to mention is one that I actually remember reading when I first got into Starsky and Hutch fandom ages and ages ago. And although I read a fair amount of fic at that time, I don't remember a lot of it. I've got a terrible memory. So the fact that I remember this one is actually pretty impressive. It's called Compassion's Heart, and uh, it's a Hurt Comfort classic. I think a lot of people in Starsky and Hutch fandom who read Hurt Comfort will recognize this one. And Starsky goes home to attend his brother's wedding, and Hutch, meanwhile, is investigating a case, and he goes to a small town north of L.A. to follow up on uh, serial murders that are very similar to the M.O. of some murders going on in L.A. And while there, he gets ambushed by the killers, and this story, it gets pretty dark, but the, the comfort is very satisfying, and then Starsky and Hutch just love each other so much. And I find the progression of their relationship in the story very satisfying. We learn early on that Hutch has been ready to uh, bring a, a romantic and sexual element to the relationship, but Starsky has been wary of this. And throughout the story, Starsky's doing some soul searching, and um, it's just very sweet, full of lots of love. And then another one that I really love of Charlotte Frost's is Private Agendas. And this one I love because I feel that the storytelling, it's just a very well-written story, plot-wise, that there are lots of extra characters interacting with Starsky and Hutch, and they each have the, their own thing that they're bringing into Starsky and Hutch's lives to complicate them and to make them realize things about themselves. And um, there are lots of... It starts out with Starsky and Hutch just having a really great day where they go to a racetrack and bet on some horses and win some money. And they're just having such a good time together. They're having fun. It's relaxing. They're winning, which they did not expect to do. And they meet Doris Huntley, which is a character from the episodes Birds of a Feather. So they kind of get pulled back into the Huntleys' lives. There's also a murder case going on that is stressing them out and... There's so many moving parts to this story, and they fit so well together. I, it just felt so well-crafted to me. And also, this has nothing to do with anything, but after reading this story and a couple other stories that involve horse racing by Charlotte Frost, um, I actually went to a, a racetrack for the very first time, and I admit some of my interest in going to this racetrack was reading all these stories and being like, oh, it does sound fun to spend an afternoon at a racetrack, and Jen had been to racetracks out in New Jersey, and she said that, yes, it was fun. So um, the one in Chicago was the closest. We spent a day there. It was actually really, really fun and pleasant. So I do often find that when I read stories that really resonate with me, uh, I, I feel compelled to like kind of seek out elements of that story. <laughs> I think that's a really fun effect that is not uncommon. What poor woman was marrying Nick Starsky? <laughs> I'm sure he shapes up. I'm sure. I mean, there are people who, you know, I'm sure there are people who would care for him just as he is. <laughs> I, I think um, we don't actually follow Starsky to the wedding, but he talks a lot about it later to Hutch. And they do kind of make that joke, but they also talk about how Nick has been maturing and, and stuff. And that Starsky thinks that marrying this woman will be really good for Nick. Who knows? I mean, we don't follow them, <laughs> so we don't know if this will actually turn out, but I'm hopeful. I hope it does, too. Also, when you said that he was ambushed by the killers, I was like, what did Brandon Flowers do to Hutch? <laughs> That'd be a different pick. That'd be a very different pick. <laughs> He's got soul. <laughs> He's not a soldier. Well, um, since you're bringing up The Killers, a band that I quite like, I think I will mention that I'm making good progress on my vid, which is not to a killer song, but is to a, fa a fun dance song. And I, I feel that I will have it done by the next time we record a podcast. So I, I Ooh, definitely goals. think I'll have it done within the next two weeks. I might even have it done in the next week. Nice. I'm yeah. so excited for it. <laughs> Thank you. I am too. Well, are you ready for some would-you-rather questions? Yes, let's. Yes. Okay. Don't 
literally hit us. I know we're in striking distance, but. (laughs) All right. Who would you most like running your Dungeons and Dragons game? Or if you haven't played Dungeons and Dragons or are a little vague or fuzzy on how one plays Dungeons and Dragons, some other role playing game. So basically, who would you like to have as your game master? I mean, Huggy. Yeah, I think I was going to go with Huggy, too. <laughs> although, although, okay. I just like, okay. I would definitely, I mean, yes, I would stick with Huggy. But it's fun imagining the different kinds of DMs that each of the characters would be. Like, Dobie would have his story, and if you deviated from it, you were out. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Hutch would just spend long, long, like, time, like, just a lot of time just, like, talking about, like, the ethics I think the world. I, I think both Hutch and Huggy would be good at doing, like, voices for the non-player characters. Uh, I think Starsky would try, too. He might not be as good at it, but he'd definitely put in a lot of energy and uh, character. They would all sound like Humphrey Bogart. They would just all end up being his bogey impression. That'd be great. <laughs> I, I have never technically played D&D, but I, I've i always thought that Hutch would probably be, like, a Tolkien fan. And I feel like his DMing would just have so much unnecessary detail that he'd basically be writing the Silmarillion. That every seems time correct. He <laughs> and that would... I, I, I picked Huggy because I think he's really good at thinking on his feet and uh, knowing everything. And so I feel like he could come up with a really creative campaign and also be able to roll with the punches and come up with something new at the drop of a hat and keep things rolling. Because that's what he does. He adapts. I was actually also going to go with Huggy, so three Huggies. I mean, this is the proper choice. (laughs) Would you rather have a watercrust and anchovy pizza with a sweet and sour sauce, which is a food item mentioned in the episode The Bait, or would you rather have a peanut butter burrito with jelly? Peanut butter burrito with jelly. I'm sorry. No, that's actually okay, because I forget what episode that's from. (laughs) Are there also beans in it? That's not mentioned. Okay, so I'm just going to assume that there's peanut butter and jelly in a wrap, and then yes, sure, that sounds good. What if it also had beans? I would eat that still. Yeah, you know what, even if it did have beans and cheese and rice, I would still what have was, that. What was on the other thing? Watercress and anchovy pizza with sweet and sour sauce. Honestly, I'm not sure if I've ever had anchovies. If I tried them and decided that they were fine, I might not be against that. Yeah, I don't, I've never had whole anchovies, but I know they're an ingredient in Caesar salad dressing. And I Should like I try Caesar not to dressing. Think about... <laughs> <laughs> I am not a fish fan. But do you eat Caesar dressing? Yeah, and I try not to think about how supposedly there's anchovies in it if it's made correctly. Right. Not all, not all Caesar dressing does, but like a proper classic Caesar dressing does have anchovies in it. So do you find yourself hoping that you're having a cheap knockoff without anchovies? Yes, and I just assume that and then I'm happy. Fair enough. (laughs) And then, which undercover assignment would you rather have? Hutches in tap dancing, or Lizzie Thorpe's in disco mania? Uh, Oh, I know. I'd rather have Hutches. And why would you rather have Hutches? Because it would be really fun to just... Because he gets to be not cool. Lizzie Thorpe has to be... She has to be cool, and she has to be, like, attractive, and... Hutch and tap dancing, he's just gotta be awkward and rich. Hutch also has to sleep with someone. Yeah. But, so, like, okay. he seemed to enjoy it, and, like, Lizzie was not enjoying anything about, like, like, both of them had to get into the clutches of a criminal, but well, she Hutch's didn't wasn't... have to. She just ended up. Like, that was That's unintentional. True. That's true. I guess Nicole you... would have been catching him before. I guess, I guess I would prefer Lizzie's if it didn't end the way hers did. But if it does involve me being in a room with a criminal alone, I'd much prefer the extortionist to the disco crazy murderer. Well, the um, the extortionists were murderers, though, too, because that's why they Homicide was in it. That's why Starsky and Hutch were... Right, but she wasn't going to kill him. No. Well, probably not. Except, except the guy who was murdered was her last mark, so... But the other thing is, like... The guy only targeted good dancers, so I feel like I'd be fine. (laughs) I could just be undercover and try to, like, find that guy, 
and not actually get dragged back to his evil disco cave because there's no way he'd choose me. Yeah, but boy, howdy, I'd love to pretend I'm Texan. (laughs) (laughs) That's a super offensive accent I'm doing, but I don't care. (laughs) I mean, it's like Hutch's was better. I I can see see you pulling off a uh, McCabe. Oh my god, it'd be the best. And I can still be named Charlie, Charlie McCabe. I can still do that because, you know, Charlie's a perfectly fine lady's name. I think it would be fun to play Charlie McCabe. Maybe they would assign Ramon to try to seduce you. <gasps> oh my! <laughs> okay, Monica? Oh, I'm gonna go with... Uh, shoot. I'm gonna go with Lizzie Thorpe. I, I feel like they wouldn't give you the assignment unless they thought you were a good dancer and that the, the killer would be interested in you. But again, the assignment isn't to actually like get kidnapped by the killer. So you just go out there and dance. Hutch got the undercover, got a undercover, an undercover assignment though there. I mean, he was there at the disco too, undercover. Right. Unable to dance. (laughs) Hutch's dancing in that episode is, I think, his worst dancing in the series. And that's saying something. I think that includes Charlie McCabe's dancing. It's true. At least Charlie McCabe had a partner to try to straighten things out. But okay, like... Hutch's assignment wasn't to sleep with her. <laughs> like, I feel like we're saying, oh, her, like, Lizzie's assignment wasn't to get kidnapped by that guy. I think we're missing the part where it wasn't Hutch's technical assignment well, no, but to was, do what he did either. But he had to get blackmailed. Mm-hmm. To prove that Is there it... was blackmail going on, he had to get blackmailed. Yeah, like, I mean... I feel like maybe that was... Like, I don't think the police thought, hey, Hutch, <laughs> have sex with this woman. But I think they probably knew that was a possibility. Like... Toby cool didn't seem surprised when it <laughs> happened. I mean, that was the whole... They were building the facade of a somewhat womanizing guy who is, you know, rich guy. So, like, they knew that this is the kind of extortion. Like, these were the targets they were choosing. So, like, I think he has to go in that with the expectation that he might have to sleep with her uh, to not break cover. Do real cops... I guess they probably must. Oh, I'm sure. Like, undercover cops. They must have to have... They have to do all kinds of things undercover that they wouldn't yeah. ordinarily do. So. I mean, when you're under deep cover, you yeah, you do all sorts of crap, so... Mm-hmm. You, you commit crimes, like, depending on what your undercover job is. Although I think that's more often, like, FBI agents. I could be wrong about that, but... If you're, like, undercover with, like, a mafia or something... That's usually FBI, right? Or is that... Yeah, op- generally. Or is that cops? I don't know. I think it's generally FBI... Well, whatever. We don't really know. We're, We're guessing not here. Unless cops. you're Ray. Unless you're Ray Vecchio. Ray, aw. Then, yeah, then you're just a cop. Then it's not FBI. Then it's just cops. You know, um, I saw some meta um, about Do South on Tumblr just yesterday. Had you reblogged it? No, but if it's the one I'm thinking of, I was really saddened by it. Oh. Was it about closets? It was about closets, but it reminded me of Starsky and Hutch because I'd forgotten, but they mentioned in this meta... That at some point, Frasier and Ray K, I assume, are doing free association, and Frasier brings up the word closet for Ray to free associate, and Ray is like, why'd you bring that up? And I'd completely forgotten that, but in Starsky and Hutch, we know that Hutch tries to do some free association exercises with Starsky and picks the word closet, and Starsky rolls with it, (laughs) um, and probably ends up trolling Hutch with it, actually. Uh, depending on how you want to read that scene. So I thought it was kind of funny that both of those shows had a very specific series of events using the word closet. I was also really amused to see uh, Do South meta in 2018. I mean, yes. It yes. warmed my heart. I mean, I, okay, I did just want to... I, I mean, I was sad because it was about Ray K. But that was, like, the only... <laughs> I mean, it was it was very it was very fun meta otherwise. I mean, Ray Vecchio forever. Yes. <laughs> We have a side in the Ray Wars. <laughs> We're sorry. We're sorry. We know I it's mean, the losing side. See, this is the thing. Like, give me Ray K and Francesca, though, all the time. Like, I want loads of fic for them. And yet. I've never seen Do South, but my dad's barber is also the barber of the guy who plays Ray V's dad. Ah. <laughs> Ray, sorry. No, but, but, Ray V. No, sorry. No, no. Ray V, the, the actor who plays Ray V. Has a father, okay. as, as everyone does. <laughs> and his father went to the same barber as my dad. Ah, that's... So the barber had a picture, a signed picture of that actor in his barbershop. That's awesome. Because it was his client's son. 
that actor showed up in a one episode of House, and he had a Canadian flag on his wall. So I, <laughs> it didn't actually work because his character was significantly different from Ray Vecchio. But I, I tried to like twist it into this is Ray Vecchio who is honoring Fraser with this Canadian flag. Maybe he's gotten citizenship. I mean, <laughs> maybe he that happens healthcare. when you get married. You know, you can apply for citizenship when you get married to someone from a different country. Well, um, until we meet again, <laughs> you can reach us at Gmail at me and the and three, all written out, all lowercase. The three is a word, not a numeral, at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter um, at me the three, because Twitter doesn't have enough characters. Or you can find us at WordPress, me and the and three dot wordpress.com. Feel free to participate in discussion or shoot us an email if you there's something you want to hear us talk about or if you have a comment. I heard that we were asked for some pictures on Twitter and all three of us are fairly camera shy, but I do have a picture of me reading private agendas at the University of Iowa archives, so I'll put that up on the WordPress page. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Nope.